Happy Feast Week, y'all, and welcome to episode three of the farewell season of the Igloo, the coolest podcast in all of college basketball. Lot to go over, including, well, the beginning of Feast Week, if you will. Guess it's the appetizer before the real main course of Feast Week happening as we speak. And then, I mean, there's a lot going on. Maui Invitational. Battle for Atlantis. Rady Children's Invitational. You have the Charleston Classic in the rearview mirror. Same with Baja Mar. The Arizona Classic. The Continental Tire main event. And then the ESPN Events Invitational happening soon. The Empire Classic's now officially in the books. So yeah, a lot to go over. Not just on the men's side, but you know, later... Um, We'll talk about the women after that. So, I mean, let's just talk about the week that was, shall we? First of all, I mean, the Gavit games, not going to lie. Little disappointed with the Big East performance in that. Uh, it sucks um, that I thought, I really thought they'd have a, like a, I thought they'd win it outright. I mean, I, ending this with a split. Ugh, just doesn't sit right with me. I mean, it started off really ugly off the bat with back-to-back losses on Monday night. Not last night, but the night prior. But the week prior. I can't even think right now. Um, St. John's got absolutely boat raced by Michigan. I mean, it was kind of clo- it was kind of close in the first half, and then Michigan just blew the doors off of them <coughs> in the second half. Dare I say Phil Martelli is the answer? <laughs> Not saying Juwan Howard's a bad coach, but I mean, they seem to be getting more out of themselves with Martelli on the sideline versus Juwan Howard. And listen, I'm not trying to badmouth him. And by the way, my, we all know that Juwan Howard can't be on the sidelines because of a heart procedure he had. Um, nothing but I'm wishing him nothing but a speedy recovery on that. And then... After that, you know, Xavier held their own against Purdue. I, I urged everyone to, you know, take Xavier covering because I thought 15 and a half or whatever it was was way too egregious. And I was right. They only lost by 12. Listen, they really held their own against Zach Eady and Purdue. As for the rest of the Gavit games, they got they the Big East bounced back with three wins on Tuesday. Providence, I mean, they looked phenomenal against Wisconsin. They manhandled the Badgers. Marquette won a tough game at Illinois in a game where Tyler Kolig may have not been 100% healthy. And then Creighton won a track meet, no surprise there, against Iowa in a game they won by eight. Wednesday, Georgetown, I mean, they kind of came out, they came out flat. They made a run towards the end of the first half uh, with Dontre Styles going crazy, but then Styles got neutralized, and that's when, then Rutgers got hot at the start of the second half and pulled away, winning by 11. Not even going to get into the whole post-game press conference thing with, um, Ed Cooley uh, imploring reporters to 
ask tougher questions. I'm not going to get into that. I, it's just, I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to get the wording. I mean, I see both sides of it. Did he come off wrong? Yes, but I understood the sentiment of it. That's the synopsis. And then on Friday, Michigan State handled business against Butler, winning by 20. I mean, this is Butler's first real test in, against Michigan State in the Breslin Center. Obviously didn't bode well and didn't end well. And then Villanova, they put a hurting on Maryland to at least salvage the split. I mean, 39-15 at the break. And then the second half, not a lot of offense. Villanova's offense kind of went MIA in the second half. Only 18 second half points, 25-18. to 18. Second half advantage for the Terps. As they actually... Because it was 55-27 with four and a half to go. And Maryland went on a 13-2 run to end the game. Credit Villanova's defense, they they held Maryland to just 24% shooting, 19% from three. And Finner Pavilion continues to be a house of horrors for Kevin Willard. And just any road games against Villanova continue to be a house of horrors. Well, he did win in 2020 against Villanova, Wells Fargo. Maybe that was a special team, though, with um, with Miles Powell leading the charge. But before that, though, Villanova got upset by Penn. I mean, obviously not ideal. But I do like how they responded on Friday by trouncing Maryland. And vastly improving their defense, too. Because, you know, Penn shot over 50% from the floor. And they out-rebounded them. As for around the rest of the Big East, no surprise. You know, UConn decimated Mississippi Valley State. DePaul finally got in the win column, beating South Dakota by 12. I mean, they looked... Really good for most of the game, and you know, they were able to keep South Dakota from keep creeping back into it to get their first win of the year. Seton Hall ran the table in their first four home games of the season. You know, they beat St. Peter's and FDU in week one, and then this past week they looked really good offensively, beating hanging 96 on Albany, and then they won by 21 over Wagner on Saturday. And I know there was a little bit of a scuffle, if you will. Words exchanged, gestures, and all that stuff uh, between uh, Shaheen Holloway and Donald Copeland. Obviously not a great look, and I know it's the second time that this is the second instance of Shaw getting into it with another coach. And this would be more surprising because of the fact that like Holloway, Donald Copeland's a Seton Hall alum having helped lead the hall to the, to a 2006 NCAA tournament bid. And he was on the 04 team as well. That before 2018, the last Seton Hall team to win a tournament game. 
you know, it's one of those things like if I had, if I had a nickel for every time that's happened, I don't, I'd only have two nickels, but it's weird that it's happened twice to quote uh, Dr. Doofenshmirtz from uh, Phineas and Ferb. Anyways, in Charleston, St. John's interesting run for them. They barely got by North Texas in a, in a rock fight winning 53, 52. Neither team shot particularly well. 15 turnovers apiece. But St. John's escaped with a win. And then they, in a complete opposite, where it was a high-scoring game. St. John's led at the break, but then Dayton pulled away to win by seven. So they had a chance to set up a really good matchup with Houston. But instead, because they lost, and then they got to play in the third-place game against Utah. And in another high-scoring affair, this time St. John's bounces back with a nine-point victory, 91-82. to I mean, Denise Jenkins looked really good throughout that entire weekend. Uh, Joel Soriano continued to play really strong. By the way, I totally didn't know this until looking at the box scores and all that. Former DePaul Blue Demon, Kobe Elvis is now is on Dayton. He led them in assists with five. Interesting. So, St. John's, sure, they got two and one, but they would have much rather, you know, won the first two games and then played Houston and lost. Other Feast Week events, I mean, I can't not talk about what happened in Bahamar. Providence, they lost the opener to Kansas State 73-70 in overtime. I mean, this is a neck-and-neck game where the biggest lead either team had was seven. And I think that seven-point lead, I think it came in overtime. If I'm not mistaken. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But obviously, this game was marred by an incident between Garway Dwall and Dede Ames in which the two exchanged punches and were ejected. Meaning, not only, I mean, Ames is going to have to sit out on Sunday in their game against Miami, but Garway Dwall also had to sit out against Georgia. And thankfully for them, they won by seven in a game where Providence was down at the under four, 58-57, but then, you know, a big three by Corey Floyd Jr. gave them the lead for good. And then Devin Carter got a three not too long after that, and that's what allowed them to pull away. So Providence, they get the split, but kind of like St. John's, you know, you would have much rather gotten the play in the championship against a really good opponent like Miami in this case. But Devin Carter, he looks like the top dog on this team now. Because Bryce Hopkins, he just hasn't looked the same as he did for most of last season. I mean, and towards the end of last season, he kind of limped to the finish line. But he looked much better in the game against Georgia, playing all 40 minutes, having 15 points and 9 rebounds, and much better shooting percentage numbers at 5 for 11. And Providence won this game despite 
only playing, I mean, they only played seven guys, but they dominated the glass. And then Xavier lost to Washington. Maybe Washington is better than people think. I feel bad for all you Xavier fans who had to stay up super late to watch that one and to have that result. Kind of sucked. I, I, I would I would have been in the same boat if I was in your shoes. So they lose the opener to Washington, and maybe Washington's actually better than people think. But then they cruise to a win against St. Mary's, and maybe St. Mary's is ass. I'm not trying to undermine the quality of Xavier's win because... St. Mary's is one of the better mid-major programs in the country under Randy Bennett. And they held him to under 50 points, including just 18 in the first half. So Xavier got the split they wanted. Now you got to turn the page. And then... Things just got worse for DePaul. They went 0-2 in Arizona, losing by 5 to South Carolina. And then by 16 to San Francisco. I mean, listen, I don't blame DePaul fans. and I think they have every right to want and demand change and wanting new leadership on the sidelines and not... And wanting someone other than Tony Stubblefield as their head coach. I'm not saying... Listen. As you guys know, I try my best to not rip people and be super critical and mean, nasty, etc. All I'm saying is I'm... I don't blame and I kind of side a little bit with these DePaul fans because given this... Rough start again. They're one in. They're one in four now, and it's not going to get much easier for the Blue Demons because they got to go play some tougher game. I mean, they get Iowa State in the Big East Big Twelve battle next week, I believe. Or am I or am I not remembering that right? Maybe? I don't know. And I know they also got to visit Texas A&M and Texas A&M is a really good team as well. And then looking around at the rest um Creighton, I mean no surprise they handled business against Texas Southern Georgetown. Not pretty wins, but they beat Mount St. Mary's and then American. And a game against American, they were down by 11 late in this one. They were down, where was that 11-point margin? 60-49 with six and a half minutes to go. Forced overtime, and Jaden Epps absolutely went ham in this game with 31 points, and they survived. Against American University. I mean, I feel like last year's team would have lost. So, I'm going to give credit where credit's due. 
They lost to American last year. And if last year's team was playing this game with the adversity they faced, I don't think they would have dug deep enough to force overtime. But they did this time. And then, of course, I mean, we got to talk about the reigning national champion, UConn Huskies, continuing to dominate non-conference opponents. And in their home away from home, Madison Square Garden, store south as people call it, that trend only continued. And the trend of Dan Hurley not being able to win close games continued. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, running gag. They beat Indiana by 20. And then they beat Texas by 10. And that's a good Texas team. And I still think it's nuts that they all they could have faced Louisville if it wasn't for a Max A. Smith buzzer beater. <laughs> that would have been so funny. I'm sorry. That would have been hilarious. Given how bad Louisville's been between all of last year and the early part of this year. Granted, they had a winning record coming into the game, but still. It would have been all, an all-time comedy. And UConn probably would have beaten them by like 30. Maybe even 40. I don't know. But still, they handled Texas. And I'm telling you, I've said it before, I'll say it again. This team might be as good Maybe even better than last year. And that's saying something. But again, time will tell. Because it's not going to get easier. Because they still got to play North Carolina back in the garden for the Jimmy V Classic. They still got to go to Kansas on December 1st for the Big East Big 12 battle. And they still got to go play Gonzaga in Seattle. So, looking ahead, shall we? Marquette, I I knew they were going to beat UCLA, but I was not expecting the game to be as close as it was. And Marquette won a thriller. By the way, this game apparently was drunk. Officiating crew didn't perform at their best, and I'm putting that lightly. And it was Sean Jones who... Came up with the game-winning three in the final minute. And Marquette, they had their backs against the wall. They were down by five at the break. And they were down by as many as 12. And they looked really good at the start of the second half. But UCLA, listen, they, they clawed their way back. But Marquette did enough to win the game. And they needed that. Because look at the semifinal slate in Maui now. Well, for, okay, technically Honolulu. So now Invitational. You know what I'm saying. Marquette plays number one Kansas today at 11.30, at 10.30 Eastern, excuse me. And then on the, on the other side of the bracket, number two Purdue plays number seven Tennessee. So no matter who Marquette draws, they're going to get a really strong quality opponent. And it starts with KU. You know, they're the number one team in the country. Hunter Dickinson's looking really good. Averaging 24 and 12. 
And it's really strange how 20 years after their last Final Four run, which ended in a loss to Kansas where it wasn't even close and it was a 33-point game, that former Igloo guest Travis Diener alongside Steve Novak and the one and only Dwayne Wade are in Hawaii and they will be in attendance for this game. How about that? Everything just intertwines with itself. History repeats itself, etc. I don't know, man. I mean, Marquette's a great team. Are they ready, though, against a, against Kansas? I don't know. I, I just I just don't think so. And who do I think they'll draw? You know, I, I'm going out on a limb here. I think Tennessee beats Purdue. I got this weird, weird feeling that Tennessee's going to beat Purdue. And Marquette will get Purdue. I mean, I think it's a coin flip, really. I mean, no matter what, Marquette is going to get a really good draw in the, whether it be the championship or the third place game. Doesn't matter. You'll get a really strong draw. So in order for Marquette to leave two and one, I think the best case scenario is you might have to bite a bullet and lose to Kansas. I'm not saying they're going to lose intentionally, but you, you know what I'm getting at. If they lose to Kansas, then you get Tennessee. I think their chances are better against Tennessee than Purdue, as weird as it sounds. Because of Marquette's size not quite being able to counter that of Purdue, mainly with Zach Eady. So I think for the rest of the tournament, I think Marquette splits, at least. It's hard for me to see them going 0-2 the rest of the way. Now, moving on, let's talk about the other Feast Week tournaments. Let's start with the battle for Atlantis. Villanova is taking on Texas Tech. Red Raiders are 3-0, but they've played nobody. Let's be honest. I think Villanova, they needed a strong bounce back game against Maryland, and they did that. And I think they'll carry that momentum. I think they will beat Texas Tech. And in the semifinals... They're going to get either Northern Iowa or North Carolina, which, let's be real. North Carolina is going to win that game. I would, dollars to donuts. UNC wins. In that semifinal game, listen, I think Villanova is more than capable of winning that game. Do I think they win, though? I don't know. Like, I mean, look at the rest of the bracket. I think Arkansas is going to beat Stanford. I think everybody knows that. I think Michigan looks... I mean, they were looking promising, but they lost to Long Beach State before this trip. So, it's hard to get a read there. Um, I mean, just looking around, I mean... I think Memphis can beat Michigan... I think if if it's the third place game, they're going to draw either 
I mean, it's either Michigan or Memphis. I think Arkansas, even after a tough loss that they just had to UNC Greensboro, I think Arkansas makes the final, probably to play North Carolina, and then Nova. I think they're going to get either Michigan or Memphis. I I just think that's my hunch feeling. I think the goal, you got to go 2-1 and at the very least. I feel like I'm a broken record saying that, but whatever. Um... Meanwhile, Creighton is in the Hall of Fame Classic in Kansas City. Big time home court advantage for the Jays. And they get Loyola Chicago first. I mean, they're going to they're gonna whoop them. Let's be honest. And then they get either BC or Colorado State. It doesn't matter. They're, they're sweeping that. I don't see any possible scenario where they don't sweep. That two-game trip. In the ESPN events, events Invitational, Butler opens up with Florida Atlantic, who, you know, they're coming off a Final Four trip, but they just got upset by Bryant their last time up in, uh, their last time out, rather, in Boca Raton. So, looking at this bracket, it's very top-heavy. If Butler somehow gets the upset, they're gonna get they're gonna get Texas A and M. Would you be an out? Be a really good draw, you know, to get get an upset of FAU and then to get A and M right after that. That'd be big time. But I don't know. I just don't see that happening. I think FAU beats Butler and then Butler gets Penn State chance for revenge from their loss in the Gavin games a year ago in Happy Valley. You know what? I'm going to go on a limb. I think they beat Penn State. Maybe I just haven't seen enough of Penn State. I mean, they're undefeated, but I mean, they haven't played anybody. Maybe I'm just trusting Thad Mata enough and Penn State being kind of in a transitional year. After, you know, Micah Shrewsbury leaves for Notre Dame after, you know, a round of 32 trip. And then looking at the rest of that bracket. I mean, the lower half, you got Iowa State, VCU, Boise State, and Virginia Tech. I mean, let's just, I mean, let's just look around at that. The Cyclones, they're 4-0. I, I think they beat VCU. Is Virginia Tech better than Boise State? I mean, probably. I mean, they lost to South Carolina in a close game earlier this year. Virginia Tech did. And Boise State's 2-1 with their lone loss coming to Clemson. What do I think is going to happen? I mean, I think they... I think they lose to FAU, they beat Penn State, and then I think I might go on a limb here and maybe maybe they lose to Penn State. You don't want to play in that 7th place game. You don't want to start 0-2. Yeah, I um It's hard to tell. I I mean, maybe they get Boise State in the seventh place game and they win that one. It 
the bottom half of that bracket's a little, it's hard to get a read on it because you have Florida Atlantic and Texas A&M in the same pod. Meanwhile, Seton Hall's got USC to start the Rady Children's Invitational. USC, I know they got upset by UC Irvine, but that was without Boogie Ellis. And without one of their other top players. Gotta find trying to remember who it is. Yeah, Boogie Ellis was out, and so was uh Kobe Johnson. But USC is back at full strength. Listen, don't count Seton Hall out. And I'm not even saying this as an alum. I think they are they're better than a lot of people think. And because of the fact that they've been winning games more handily, their top players have been getting more rest. And they're staying healthier. So therefore, they 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 look better. So I think Seton Hall. I think the bare minimum they get a split. I think they end up losing a tight one to USC. And then either Oklahoma or Iowa, I think they get Oklahoma and they get payback from last year and beat the Sooners on Black Friday. Speaking of the rest of the weekend, I mean, Xavier takes on that same Bryant team that upset Florida Atlantic just a couple days ago. I mean, does lightning strike twice for them? I don't I don't know. I just don't see that happening. I just don't. I think Xavier, I mean, Brian will be competitive. I think Xavier wins a tight one. I, UConn's going to handle their business against Manhattan. Providence will handle business against Lehigh. And then Georgetown, I think they'll figure it out after a week off, you know, They'll rest and they'll handle business against Jackson State on Saturday. I think St. John's takes care of business against Holy Cross. That Holy Cross team, by the way, that beat Georgetown. And then DePaul against Northern Illinois. It's weird that I think that Northern Illinois is 4-1. Their only loss, ironically, was against Marquette. They've rattled off four straight wins since then, beating App State, Illinois Tech, and uh, Georgia State, and Little Rock. That's a gross start time, too. It's uh, the Saturday after Thanksgiving. It's at 8, eight o'clock local time. Ugh. But you know what? I don't know. I think Northern Illinois wins. I don't know, just the trajectory of where DePaul is right now, it's it's just not good. And even with a week off, it it just I don't know, it's just very bad vibes you feel around that team and around the program right now. Maybe that all changes if they beat Northern Illinois. Maybe. But a win against Northern Illinois shouldn't be earth shattering. Because their last few non-conference games, they they still got to play Iowa State at home in the Big East Big 12 battle, as I alluded to earlier. They got to go play at Texas A&M, who's currently ranked 12th in the country. You get Louisville at home, a sicko special, and then to close out non-conference play with Northwestern, 
Oh, and, well, before, you know, they get Villanova on Festivus, and they also play Chicago State in their last true non-conference matchup. Yeah, that'll be their last non-conference game. And that's on the 30th. So, yeah, that's that's what's, that, that's my take and everything on the men's side. So, don't go anywhere. Going to be talking to Big East women's hoops right out of the break. Hi, I'm Grace Ann Bennett. And I'm Kelsey Ransom. And you're listening to The Igloo with Timmy Ice. Burr! <laughs> Thank you, Grace Ann and Kelsey. <laughs> Easily my favorite segue that I recorded at Media Day. It's not even close. So let's talk about the week that was on the women's side. The headlines coming off that upset loss to NC State. UConn who fell to number eight. They bounced back in a big way by not only beating Maryland at Gamble. They trounced them. And the crazy thing is Maryland led... 23-18 with 5.50 left in the first half. UConn outscored them the rest of the game 62-25. And in case you forgot, as I said on Twitter, Paige Beckers is still her. Monster game for her. 24 points on 10-15 shooting and 2-3 for from 3. And it sucks. AZ Fudd got hurt in practice, so who knows how long she's going to be out. But, I mean, they dominated. Aaliyah Edwards was was solid. They were really efficient from the floor. Defended well. Aubrey Griffin had 13 boards. And a couple of their freshmen, Ashlyn Shade and K.K. Arnold, were phenomenal with double digits off the bench. And they also forced 27 Maryland turnovers. That's huge. Meanwhile, on the wrong side of, you know, speaking of upsets, Creighton got upset at home by Green Bay. I mean, they got off to a really sluggish start and never really recovered. They were down 22-19 at the end of one. They lose by a dozen. And outside of Lauren Jensen and Emma Ronzik, the rest of the team struggled. I mean... Jensen and Ronsick combined for 36 of their 53. From three-point range, they really struggled, and Green Bay shot it really well. 54.5% from the field, 50% from downtown. So now what you want if you're Creighton, I mean, they did bounce back with a solid win over Nebraska on Sunday. I mean, they really looked strong for the entire game, and they withstood a pretty tough Nebraska rally because they were only they were up nine heading into the fourth, and held on to win by five behind another real good bounce back performance from Morgan Molly, who drilled not five three pointers in the in that one. Other headliners, Xavier continues to struggle. Uh, you know, Billy Chambers era off to a tough start. Um, 0-4, they lost to Old Dominion and then Bowling Green in their last two games. They got Kent State 
at home tonight. And then they get Miami, Ohio on Monday. Isn't this this wasn't going to be easy for Xavier, but yeah, Owen Four is not where you want to be because Biggie's play is on the horizon. You know, it starts a month from now. Anyways, um, looking around the rest of the conference, Seton Hall continues to protect home court really well. They hosted and throttled Rutgers 82-63, proving that New Jersey is still a blue state. Azana Baines went crazy in that one with 25 points. And then you had Micah Gray transfer from Texas Southern, who had 18 points. Really shot it well from three. Ten, ten made threes compared to just three for the Scarlet Knights. And they turned them over 21 times. I mean, really, other than Destiny Adams, uh, Rutgers had a rough time out there. Because Adams was 11 for 15. <laughs> the rest of the team is 12 for 37. Meanwhile... Providence, after a 2-0 start, they they came back down to earth, um, losing a tough one at Brown. A big third quarter kind of was the backbreaker for the Friars. And then on Sunday, they were defeated by Boston College at home, and BC is a solid team. I mean, they lost to Harvard. Harvard's a solid women's program. And then Ohio State on the road. Listen, like, Providence is going to figure it out. Just give them time. You know, they... I'm trying to think of the best analogy here in the wording, but like... You know, the only way to get to a rainbow is if it rains. So they hit they hit they they hit a rainy patch. And they got chances to bounce back. They get Monmouth on Wednesday. And they they got a they got a tough challenge at Penn State and that and a Penn State team, by the way, that went on the road and handled business against St. John's, and they also beat Kansas, which is noteworthy. And I think Kansas is the reigning WNIT champs. Uh, looking around the rest of the league, Marquette continues to look strong. They dominated IUPUI on the road and then beat St. Peter's by 60. Villanova bounced back after a 1-1 one one week by beating Temple by 28 behind a 40-burger from Lucy Olsen. Lucy channeling, channeling her inner uh, Maddie Segrist, if you will. And then, let's see. Who else am I missing here? Trust me, I try to cover all the bases here. So, speaking of St. John's, they bounce back with a win over Manhattan on Sunday by 20. And then, Butler continues, has played strongly ever since their um, season opening loss to Iowa State. They beat Detroit Mercy 
and then followed that up by with a close one over Austin P, and then they dominated Roosevelt. Uh, looking or uh, Georgetown, they beat Fairleigh Dickinson by 15. Their last time out, 60 to 45, forcing 21 turnovers for FDU. And then Bad Boys Mower, Bad Boy Mower, I can't even speak. Bad Boy Mowers Battle for Atlantis. There we go. DePaul ends up getting seventh place. They lose to South Dakota by 12. They lose a close one to Middle Tennessee State. And and by the way, they nearly won it after being down 15 with two and a half to go. They went on a 13-0 run to get it down to two. It would have been crazy if they ended up winning that game with all that being considered. I mean, they got the stop they needed coming out of the timeout after Middle Tennessee and after DePaul made two free throws, Middle Tennessee advanced the ball. I mean, DePaul got a stop, but couldn't get an answer. But they did respond by beating Howard in their last game down there on Monday, 85-62. And Anaya Peoples, now that she's fully healthy, she really looks like the player, the, the go-to player on DePaul after losing Anissa Morrow, averaging 20 points and nearly nine rebounds in six games. Like, just give her a chance. Now that she's fully healthy, now she's been more than capable of taking charge. And then in Paige Becker's homecoming, UConn, I mean, Becker struggled, but UConn took care of business in the barn, winning by 18. Again, Becker struggled, 4 of 12 from the floor, 0 of 5 from 3, just 12 points, 8 boards, 4 assists. I mean, well-rounded stat line, don't get me wrong. My know for her homecoming, she might, would she wished she played a lot, uh, you know, shot it a lot better, was able to produce more. But hey, a win's a win, you take it. And K.K. Arnold made a huge play at the end of the first half, you know, getting a steal and then a runner from three to beat the first half buzzer that was a backbreaker for the Golden Gophers. You know, Leah Edwards continues to shine. Nika Mule was really strong in this one. And then Ice Brady came up with seven huge points in 17 minutes off the bench, including a three-pointer. So, with Feast Week really ramping up on the women's side, Seton Hall lost their opener in the Baja Marf Pink Flamingo Championship to number 8 USC. It was a 10-point loss, but USC really dominated for the vast majority of the game. First and third quarters, it was 41-20 in favor of the Trojans. Second and fourth quarters... 34-23 in favor of the Pirates. So given that they played well in the fourth quarter and held USC to just eight points, maybe they take that momentum into their game on Wednesday down there and beat East Carolina, who is an even 500 at 2-2. And I think that's what what will end up happening there. Meanwhile, Villanova, I think they handled business against Holy Cross. Uh, 
Um, then they go to Wake Forest on Sunday. Other notable, I mean, Xavier, I mentioned they got Kent State at home on Tuesday. Well, today. Um, already won over Providence. Then you have the Cancun Challenge. Creighton gets Georgia Tech first now that they are out of the top 25. So they get Georgia Tech and Michigan State. I think they bounce back strongly. Michigan State is an offensive juggernaut. The last two games they played, they dropped 105 points. I mean, they're averaging 99 points a game. Which for Creighton is like, yes! We want to play at that pace. And I think that matchup suits, matchup suits them well. Meanwhile, the matchup against Georgia Tech's interesting. I mean, the Yellow Jackets are 4-0. But I think Creighton, I, I think they needed that piece of humble pie against Green Bay. And I think they bounce back and win two in a row in Cancun. Meanwhile, St. John's is in the Puerto Rico Classic, and they open up with VCU, who's 3-1. The Rams, their only loss coming at JMU. And I'm pretty sure this is one of those events. I mean, it's weird that a good amount of these women's feast week tournaments don't have brackets. You know, you play two games, and that's that. You don't have a bracket. This is one of those events, actually. They get three straight games, Thanksgiving, Black Friday, and then the Saturday after that. They get VCU, UCF, and Jackson State. Do I think they beat VCU? 50-50. I think St. John's does bounce back and win that one against UCF. UCF's 3-0, and they beat, I mean, they've beaten Auburn, Anderson in South Carolina, non-D1 school, and then they beat Bethune-Cookman. And Auburn is a deceiving SEC team. I mean, the SEC is a very good basketball conference, men's and women's for basketball. But I just think it's deceiving. I would not be shocked if St. John's says we're going 3-0 in Puerto Rico. But at the very worst, I think they go 2-1. You know, before I get into like the juicy tournaments. I mean, let's talk about the Tiger Turkey tip-off. I love the alliteration there. Butler competing in this Thanksgiving tournament. Opening up against the host team from Pacific University out in Stockton, California. Pacific's 3-1. Their only loss coming against Washington. Butler's been playing well ever since, again, ever since that opening loss to Iowa State, they've been playing really well. I think they carry the momentum. Actually, I'm 50-50 on it because Pacific, their only loss came on the road. So I think Butler ends up falling in a close one to Pacific. 
but they bounce back with a win over St. Thomas. Georgetown has their West Coast road trip. They're at Pepperdine on Friday, which I think the Hoyas win that one. And then on Sunday, they get Fullerton, uh, Cal State Fullerton, who is an even 500 at 2-2. Two and two. I would not be shocked if Georgetown ends up winning both legs of that road trip. I got a hunch. And I like the Hoyas there. And then, I mean, other games, I think Villanova continues to carry the momentum after that trouncing of Temple. I think they, I got them beating Holy Cross, obviously. And then at Wake Forest, I think they take care of business in Winston-Salem. I think Providence falls to Penn State. DePaul, I think they take the momentum of, of the win over Howard on Monday. And they beat Loyola Chicago on Sunday. But the the headliner, UConn in the Cayman Islands Classic, they start off on Black Friday against number two UCLA. And UCLA's look really good. They won a close one against Princeton their last time out, but they crushed Bellarmine, UC Riverside, and Purdue. You know, with AZ Fudd, I mean, obviously, I'm not expecting her to play in that one. I don't think anyone is. Let me see what her injury status is. Um... Doesn't really say much about the injury. Uh, all Gino Oriema said it was a non-contact knee injury, and they're, they got to provide more. UConn said it will provide more information at a later date after she go undergoes testing. So I don't know, man. I don't know. You know when they lost to NC State. I was like, eh, don't really think much of it because of just early happenings like LSU getting trounced by Colorado. But then parity has really kicked up. I mean, look at Creighton getting upset by Green Bay. But how about Iowa losing at home to Kansas Day after rising up to the number two ranking in the country? Parity is more prevalent now in women's college basketball than arguably any other time ever if i'm being completely honest recency bias recency bias be damned do i think they beat ucla though mm, i don't know i don't know i mean that's going to be a really tough game ucla is looking really really good and they were preseason number 4 And now up to number two, only behind South Carolina. UCLA is a big team. They're led by 6'7", Lauren Betts. Was averaging 19.5 points and 10.8 rebounds. 
They still got Charisma Osborne, really great player. Gabriela Jaquez, younger brother, younger, um, the um, younger sister of uh, Jaime Jaquez, or Jaime Jaquez, I don't know what I'm doing. They're really well-rounded, and UCLA, they want payback after they lost to them a couple years ago in the Never Forget Tribute Classic in Newark. And I believe that was UConn's first game after Paige had suffered her first injury against Notre Dame. I think if AZ Fudd plays in this game, I think UConn wins, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think UConn loses to UCLA, but they bounce back with a win over Kansas. I think the winner, I think Kansas is a lock. Like they'll win that game for sure. But UCLA, I really want to take them in this game. Because you never want to doubt Gino Auriemma and his team. You never want to doubt Paige Beckers. Now, Paige Beckers had to remind everyone against Maryland that she's still her. And in a way, with AZ Fudd being hurt, you know, that gives, it's it's like a double-edged sword. I mean, good news, Paige can shine more and can keep doing more of her thing. The bad news is you miss the three-point shooting and scoring prowess of AZ Fudd. So you get a little bit of good, a little bit of bad there. As much as I want to go with UConn, my gut's just telling me UCLA is going to win this one. But then again, we've seen the parody. Number two, Iowa's number two last week. They went down to Kansas State, who was unranked. And UConn ain't Kansas State. So I'm sticking with UCLA, but again, UConn has a very good chance of winning. And I really think it's a toss-up. So, with all that being said, I mean, it was, uh, this is a long episode. Actually, I mean, long, but it's considerably shorter compared to last week. But that is going to do it for this edition of the Igloo. Probably after Thanksgiving, I'm really going to start grinding more on getting guests. Um, obviously, I'll... Bring back Ryan Patty to preview the Big East Big 12 battle. And we got 11 games now to preview compared to 10 with the Big 12 expanding, getting BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. Only one of those teams, though, is competing in this event, which is Houston, which surprises absolutely no one because Houston is clearly the best of that bunch. So, with all that being said, that's going to do it. Thanks for tuning in, and I appreciate your continued support of the Igloo, the coolest podcast in all of college basketball. I want to wish each and every one of you a safe and happy Thanksgiving. I hope you enjoy it with your loved ones, family, friends, what have you. And hopefully, I know you'll enjoy your football I mean, who wouldn't on Thanksgiving Day, along with your turkey, stuffing, 
mashed potatoes and gravy, cranberry sauce, or is it cranberries? I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't partake in it, so it, I, I, it doesn't concern me. But enjoy some college hoops while you get the chance. Feast week is a fun week. So take in every second of it. Enjoy as much as you can. And enjoy every second that you spend with your loved ones at this time and later on for Christmas. Because you never know when they might be gone in an instant, you know? Um, I actually recently lost a family friend who, I guess this will be an unofficial icebreaker. Um, I recently lost a family friend of mine um, who was the head coach of the basketball teams, uh, a little bit for the women, but mostly for the men at the SUNY Polytechnic Institute, and where he was also the longtime athletic director. He was a huge piece in getting that school's athletic program to where it is now and getting them to compete with the other big SUNY schools at the D3 level, like your Oswego's, your Cortland's, your Plattsburgh's, Rockport's, etc. If you know, you know. And he passed away couple weeks ago after a battle with ALS and I know I didn't say anything about it on Twitter maybe I should have I felt compelled to maybe I just forgot but yeah ALS is no joke I remember when the ALS ice bucket challenge was a big thing in the summer of 2014 and I'm not afraid to admit that I'm guilty of participating in it more so for the social media aspect of it because everyone was doing it and it, you want to get in on it. So I, I'm not afraid to admit I was guilty of that. So obviously it was heavy learning that he was diagnosed with ALS last year. And it was heartbreaking. You know, they had a court dedication ceremony for him in September. Luckily, he was alive and in attendance to see this court unveiled and to see his name on it, a court which he roamed the sidelines for for decades. And, you know, he was only 64 years old, and this is a 6'7 guy who was absolutely, I mean, reduced to basically nothing because of this horrible, horrible disease that is ALS, a.k.a. Lou Gehrig's disease. No one deserves that, especially him. And my mother told me that one of his last words that he was able to type out with, you know, because when I saw him in September... He was in a wheelchair, in a motorized wheelchair, that is, and he only could barely move just the left side of his body. And it was, again, this towering guy, and ALS crippled him and reduced him to that and took his life just a couple weeks ago. 
within a year of his diagnosis. <sighs> yeah. Um, it's hard to find the right words for this. I, I know I've had a couple weeks to process it, but it's still heartbreaking and still pro- extremely difficult to process even with all that time gone by. So the point I'm trying to make is, you know, when, you know, you can say, you know, like with the ice bucket challenge, you know, I support ALS awareness by doing the ice bucket challenge, but it's another thing like you really, it really hits you when you actually know someone and lose someone who passed, who dies from that and from any disease. Kind of like how, you know, when I was 13, my aunt died from breast cancer. And from that moment on, you know, like I remember around that time, you know, like sixth, seventh grade, you know, like I'd wear pink and like, oh, it's breast cancer awareness. Yeah, like sure. Uh, Because it was just coming to the forefront, coming into the mainstream. But it took on a lot more meaning after she passed away. And that's why, you know, I'm a, I love sporting pink, um, not just during breast cancer awareness month, but really all times throughout the year. And I know the team I work for, the Utica Blue Sox, they do a breast cancer awareness night where, you know, they wear special pink jerseys and they auction them off. Uh, people can bid on those jerseys and the, and purchase them and the P and all the proceeds for that benefit the American Cancer Society. So, long story short, really enjoy and relish in the times that that you'll be spending with your loved ones um, for Thanksgiving and just each and every day because they can be gone in an instant. And I think that's a really good place to end this episode finally. Just a little something to take with you. So thanks for tuning in. Have a safe and happy Thanksgiving. And I'll catch you next week for another edition of the Coolest Podcast and all of college basketball, the Igloo.